Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jay Kirschman, here with Vince Cicero from FC Cincinnati, Senior Vice President of Partnerships and Broadcasting. Really excited to talk to him about not only his journey, his path, but his current role, uh, some of the experiences he's uh, getting to impact on a day-to-day basis, including a new stadium to come. So Vince, welcome to the podcast. Jake, pleasure being on, and I uh, very much appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Well, let's just start with how you got started in the sports industry. Any aha moments for you? Well, my start in sports uh, was probably a a little bit interesting. It goes all the way back when I was coming out of undergrad and going through the interview process with a lot of companies that I realized I'm not sure that I want to be doing this uh, day in, day out. And uh, my dad was actually the one who gave me the very obvious uh, advice of, you love sports so much, there's got to be business opportunities in that setting. So I took his very obvious advice and started uh, reaching out to all the the teams in North America and ended up getting a job with the Milwaukee Bucks uh, coming out of school and then never have gotten out. I've just been in since then and have been fortunate. But uh, yeah, I think sometimes the the first break is one of the most difficult breaks for people getting in the industry. So let's talk about that first break because you're right. It's it's very interesting. Everyone kind of goes about it a different way. Some people get it uh, one way or another, right? Whether it's re- via a relationship, whether it's, hey, you just out of those thousand jobs you applied for, you got that one, right? Um, yeah. Talk a little bit about the mindset that you need going into that 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 perspective of it's all you need is one, right? All you need is one. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot. And for those that end up getting in the sales aspect of our industry, it's being able to accept rejection uh, as a part of the, the numbers. And certainly back when I got started, and sometimes it's, it's not any different today, it was sheer volume. I was reaching out to everybody following up with with everyone too in trying to find the opportunity and was very fortunate. It happened to be a franchise in my home city who was looking for a spot, but there was there was no other great connection there as much as uh, you know persistent follow-up and trying to find the one. Uh, but many times that's all it takes to, to get into the industry so you can build up some equity on industry experience. And you mentioned, you know, you found something in your hometown, but for many, that's that's not a reality. And the ability yeah. to then have to travel across the country, go go somewhere completely unknown, you don't know a soul. Um, did you then have to have that sort of experience after you had that first uh, forte into the into the industry? Yeah, I think for everyone in the industry, you really need to be honest with yourself in what are you willing to do. Uh, to be in the industry. And for some, that's the job, roles, responsibilities. Sometimes it's geographic. Uh, I've got friends and colleagues who have worked through the industry who have said, no, I only want to operate in this one area, or no, I'm willing to go anywhere. Probably initially, I set my sights on being within the Midwest, and that's where my initial stops have been. But at various times, looked at other opportunities. They might have been on the East Coast or the West Coast and just decided that wasn't a fit for me. But again, I've had colleagues in the industry who have who have moved around in different time zone, and that's worked out great. But I think people need to have that open discussion with themselves of what are they willing to do and what's comfortable for them. 
And, you know, you've had quite a few experiences, obviously spent some long time uh, tenure with the Bengals and then to the Western and Southern Open, uh, Feld Entertainment, now with FC Cincinnati. What's been the one, you know, underlying factor across all those different roles? And my, my assumption might be it's the people and, hey, you know, that's been a big part of your experience. But anything else across the experiences that you've tried to kind of link together that have gotten you to, the, to where you are now? Yeah, I think from a job function standpoint, what's been consistent, whether I was working in tennis, uh, football, now soccer, Ironman, NBA, it, it's always been centered on revenue generation. I mean, that's always been a central piece. Uh, you know, a lot of times the, the question will come, what is the difference between the sports or the entertainment properties? But I think the one consistent thread has been the revenue generation piece, you know, in particular on the sponsorship side. Uh, but like a lot of people, you know, it is driven by the individuals that you're working with, working for, uh, and the opportunities that, that maybe come with that, that have been real, real important. Um, I've had friends who have worked in one league, one team, and have been there for a long, long run. Um, and others like myself who have who've changed sports or properties uh, and for me, the revenue generation has always been the consistent threat. So for that revenue generation aspect of things, how does it change from sport to sport? Obviously, it's the context and it's the personalities and, and the coaches and what you're selling. But at the same time, there's got to be some different nuances, right? Tournament, you know, tennis being a tournament and one week out of the year versus the Bengals having a season and so on. Yeah, absolutely. Like a lot of things, it, it starts with the audience, with the fan base. Uh, the, the audience of what was tennis in that end, where you've got more of a higher end demo, but more of a niche demo from a, a mass perspective relative to a sport like football, which has mass appeal and very demo from the, the tennis world. Um, that's always the starting point. But yes, the offerings very different. I've worked for uh, teams that are you know, really regionally based, locally based. That's where all the support, all the attention comes from. And then a sport like uh, tennis, which has international appeal, uh, Ironman, which has global appeal. Uh, so a lot of times it's figuring out what is it that you are and what is it that you aren't uh, and who are the, the partners that can maybe align with that. And, and as you think about the media component and how media has played a big role in the revenue generation side uh, along your years, you know, now you're involved with the broadcasting piece from an in-house perspective, um, you know, if it's not nationally televised and just talk a little bit more about the robustness now of what media has done to the revenue generation side of things. Yeah, and there's, there's a couple different levels. One is certainly from a league level uh, where you can have big broadcast uh, opportunities that are going to generate uh, revenue down to the team level, but then you've got what are you doing individually. For us, We've got TV in-house, which is both important for how we communicate from our partners to our fan base, but also the, the marketing opportunity that it represents for a two to three hour telecast um, and the communication tools that you can do. So we try to certainly weave in not only our partner messaging, but our community messaging and the other things that we're doing in the marketplace as we talk about a soccer match uh, current day. And certainly at a league level, whether soccer, basketball, or football, you're going to have the revenue opportunities that can come with those national telecasts and what it means for all the, the participating teams. 
So we're in a, a growth mode, certainly with soccer and how it's exploding in the US. So, you know, on the broadcast side, that's an exciting future as we look ahead, not only to what we're doing here in our own market in, in greater Cincinnati, but also at a league level and what that means nationally and internationally where the, the telecasts are, are distributed. Let's talk about this season because it's been uh, obviously a unique one and you've had to probably figure out some different ways to uh, help partners and, and, you know, with no fans, but then having some control over the broadcast piece. What was maybe one of the biggest challenges and then kind of a success of something that you tried to implement this year uh, with some of the partners? Yeah, I think certainly working through each partner, this has been a year unlike any other for, for everybody that's in the industry and for everyone on their, their own personal and business life. Uh, for us, it's really been having a lot of open and honest conversations with our partners to figure out what is it we can deliver on given the circumstances, what are the things that we can't, and for what's going on in their business, what's going to be helpful for them. So certainly with our control on the broadcast side, for those partners where that exposure was still important that we could enhance, and much like most of the North American teams, we've added some of the signage that's visible in the telecast that normally isn't visible because there'd normally be fans sitting there. You know, we've taken advantage of that for the partners that it makes sense. And for others, we've had to shift into the digital space uh, to try to bring additional value. And for others, we've looked ahead to future years um, to look at things that are going to add to the value they've got in the alignment with the team. So um, I think for those that were a little more broadcast centric, uh, that one has been a little bit easier to deliver on because we're in a situation that we've got full control on our telecasts and can do unique things and be able to add more value in, the, in that setting. But this has certainly been the year to be adapting to what the partner needs are, their circumstances. We've got some partners, their, their industry has actually done okay, and others who have struggled mightily. So we've tried to adjust to that. Each one's been case by case, and we've certainly spent a lot of time working with each partner to figure out what's the right solution for this very odd year. And nothing like, you know, preparing for a new stadium in a pandemic when you're trying to build it, construct it, figure out, you know, uh, extra different assets for partners, et cetera. You know, you, you know, you and I were talking before you, you were part of the Bengals kind of opening of their stadium um, back then. And, and just being a big part of this experience, opening up the stadium. Um, what is one of the biggest challenges aside from COVID uh, of just opening a new stadium as a whole? Well, I think it, it comes at various stages as you're moving along. It's certainly to trying to figure out the right way to communicate what the building's going to be. Because uh, I know up until the point when we had our virtual environment so that we can now show our fans and our partners what the inside of the building looks like, it's a little bit harder to communicate that uniqueness. Uh, but now that we have that, and now that we can take our partners on a virtual walk around the building, even though now we can start to slowly do you know, the in-stadium tours hard hat construction, uh, once we got to that point, then it became a little bit easier. And when I think back to the time when we had opened our football stadium, that didn't really exist. So you didn't have that ability to show what the finished product is gonna be like, uh, but now we do. Now we, we are able to show 
fans, this is exactly what your seat's gonna be like, or for our partners, this is what the inside of the building is gonna look like. Uh, that has made it a little bit easier as we move along, but trying to plan for the opening of the building, doing the long-term planning on their side to figure out how can they best take advantage of the relationship with the team in this new urban stadium that's opening up, uh, which is a, a very different environment than we've had uh, up till now. Uh, it's a lot to talk through and for everyone to figure out what's gonna make sense for them. But it certainly has been a lot of fun discussions and people are very optimistic as they look ahead to 2021, because that feels like a different world than we're operating in right now. Uh, so that part of it's been a lot of fun to be able to have that to turn the attention to. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, as you think about the the fan experience, right, you know, what a way for a fan to go back and experience a game in a completely different new stadium as opposed to going back to the old, right? I think uh, that yeah. that enhances the fan experience as a whole, right? Uh, you know, as you think about, though, taking the fan experience from one to another, right? It's like going from the old Yankee Stadium to the new Yankee Stadium. There's yeah. things that people are going to miss. There's things that people are going to enjoy. How do you try and please everybody? Well, it's, that's a good question. And ultimately, it depends on what was important to them. I mean, we can talk about the physical nature of where the seating is in this new facility because it is built for MLS soccer. So every seat and every comparable point to the college football stadium that we're playing in is closer to the field. When we take a look at the new venue that has a roof line that goes to the first row, so for all the games that they thought about, is it gonna to rain today, that now becomes a non-factor. When we take a look at the food and beverage opportunities of everything that will be in the new venue, the restroom counts, the movement around the building, uh, we've got a lot of fun things uh, to talk about. Ultimately, it depends on what, what is the fan looking for. Some are bringing their kids, it's a family outing, they want to take advantage of uh, pre-game uh, activities outside the venue and come in and have a good time. Others want to take a, you know, are coming with clients and they want to enjoy great food and beverage opportunities and they want an indoor location and we've got four different clubs. So we think we've got great storylines for almost everyone's need as we move into this, you know, 250 million plus uh, building that we're about to open. Uh, but yes, everyone's got their own unique aspects of why they enjoy going to a sporting event. And, you know, uh, FC Cincinnati fans would be no different. When you think about going to different venues and different games and different sports, you know, and, the, and just the overall fan experience, usually there's something that stands out about each one, right? There's something that's unique to each place. And perhaps mm -hmm. it might even be some sort of partner integration, right? Where it's this specific zone or club or whatever it might be. How have you gone, you know, about thinking whether it's a technology side of things or a corporate partner to really enhance the stadium uh, as you begin to get creative and think about some of these uh, different ways to enhance the fan experience? Yeah, well, certainly like a lot of people that are opening venues, we've spent a lot of time looking at other venues, you know, in particular, the ones that have opened in the last three to four years, both in MLS and outside. I mean, we've gotten plenty of ideas from MLS franchises like LAFC and Minnesota United and some of the cool things that they've done in their new venues. And then we've also taken ideas from Pfizer Forum, you know, great NBA arena back in my hometown of, of Milwaukee. But we tried to create some distinct neighborhoods and offerings within our venue. So 
we've got four different clubs who have four distinctly different personalities geared at four very different audiences, both from offerings to price point and amenities, um, varying seating, uh, varying entertainment opportunities around the building. So we tried to get a lot of fan feedback from our current season ticket holders and uh, leaned in heavy to our supporter group, which is unique in soccer because you've got this built-in fan base that's very passionate about the, your franchise and your team. And we've tried to get their input all along the way. So they've weighed in heavy as we made choices between A or B or C or D to figure out what was important. So some of its research, market research that we've done here, some of it's been the, the research that we've looked at, what other franchises have done. It's been the in-person visits uh, to other sporting venues here in North America to take some ideas um, and then try to put together our best story. I mean, you hope when you open a building that you get the majority of it right. There's always certainly going to be aspects where you look back and say, I wish we would have, you know, adjusted on that piece, but we feel pretty good about where we are right now. And for what we've offered up so far, all of our premium seats, our four different club lounges all sold out right away. So the market feedback initially has been really positive. And we're at the high end of the spectrum in soccer of the number of premium seats that we have and the suites that we have. Um, and then we've tried to take a look at the, our lowest price seats in our supporter section and what are the amenities around those seats to make it easier for people. We've got some very cool bars and a lean in heavy to craft beer opportunities in our building, which is you know, special within this marketplace. And we've been looking at our pregame entertainment and some of the things that we want to do that are going to be family focused and kid focused uh, within it. But it's a lot of things to get right. And we've tried to, you know, lean on some of the research that's been done and try to get our, the fan feedback from our own fan base, you know, over the last 18 months uh, that's helped hopefully steer us in a good direction. Yeah, I want to touch on that last point you made because, you know, a lot of people think about data and analytics and it's always, you know, digital or social metrics or, you know, finance. Or, but you just talked about a key component in research and fan feedback. Like at yeah. the end of the day, that's that's data, right? And that's actually yeah. very, very useful data that if you know how to take not only the qualitative and the quantitative, put them together, you can really make some decisions that are going to help you in the long run, uh, whether it's financially or, you know, socially, digitally, you know, broadcast, et cetera. Talk a little bit about that process and how you take that just as seriously as anything else. Yeah, and I think for our club, and this would maybe more, more so in soccer than some other North American sports. But for us, we get regular fan feedback because we've got two different components. We've got a relationship that we interact with our supporter groups, our very avid, what we call the Bailey, uh, but most MLS teams have a big supporter section that we've got a group of individuals from that portion of our audience that we meet with and talk with on a regular basis. And then we have a fan council uh, that we meet with and talk with on a regular basis. Um, they sign NDAs with us. So we're pretty open in sharing a lot of things, whether we're talking about price points or things we're looking at doing in the building. And we will get their feedback, ask for their feedback. And sometimes that is affirming some of the other uh, quantitative research 
uh, that we have done. And sometimes it maybe steers us in a little direction because uh, maybe that's not quite what fans are feeling or we might be off on something that we're we're talking about but it, there's a balance there there's absolutely balance and I wouldn't want to just rely on the quantitative part and I think because of that interaction that the club has always had so this isn't a we're opening a new stadium dynamic this has been since the club's been around for five years dynamic of trying to get the feedback I think that's been really important so even in our organization We've got some people that have been around, around since day one, which for us is only five years ago, but they were involved from the origin. Then we've got others like myself who have arrived within the last couple of years. So we bring a lot of different perspectives. And then ultimately we've got to huddle and make decisions that we hope based on what the fan data is showing, the fan feedback showing and our own industry perspective uh, that we we get it in the, a good spot. Yeah, you know, you mentioned something with, the five-year mark and it, look there's challenges for every organization whether it's organizational culture whether it's the fan culture whether it's the partner culture right how do you go about um, having something that is in a way very moldable right as opposed to maybe the the new york yankees that are you know a uh, hundred plus years old to where they've got those you know rich uh historical you know ways of, of going about things or um, you know, obviously they're making adjustments along the way, but there's a lot of foundation set in stone as opposed to, you know, something that's kind of always uh, ever evolving a little bit faster maybe than most. Yeah. How do you take advantage of that? Uh, I'll call it moldability, right? Uh, with, within, you know, the various cultures. Yeah, well, I think for us, I mean, we embrace the fact we view ourselves still in startup mode. I mean, we have only been around five years um, one of the chief uh, reasons why there is an MLS franchise here in Cincinnati is because of the fan support. I mean, it quickly went from 10, 12, 14,000 a game to last year, you know, our, our last full real normal year, uh, 28,000 a game. Um, so the fan support here is, is so impactful, but we realize we are in growth mode and we're about to open the stadium. Uh, we've got other aspirations of things that we're going to do, you know, around the venue and around the community to, to have some impact. So I don't think there's anyone in the organization that ever assumes we've got the answer, that we can't be listening all the time, that we can't seek feedback because we're still in that growth mode. Um, and, and the fact we're going through a building opening, you know, gives us a lot of chance to opportunities to be flexible and kind of reshaping that and redoing things. And certainly as we talk about the decisions we're making for 2021, we do talk about what do we think this looks like two and four years into the building? And what if fans want A or B adjusted? You know, is the venue and is our setup accommodating of that to keep that in mind as, as we go through? But I think that's a little bit in the DNA of the organization just because we are still growing, uh, realize it's, you know, it, in the end, it all comes back to our fans in the community here. Those are the chief drivers for us. So we always have to be listening and figuring out the, the right approach. No, that's a fantastic perspective and, and appreciate you sharing that. Uh, let's let's wrap up here with some rapid fire. Um, yeah. you know, play, play a little geographic game for you. Obviously, growing up in Milwaukee, uh, you, you started out with the Bucks, but did you have a favorite team growing up? Yeah, probably the Milwaukee Brewers. I mean, my if, if you go truly my first job in sports, 
I was on the ground crew for the Milwaukee Brewers. So I was taking care of grass and dirt and setting up a batting cage and was continually amazed. I was actually getting a paycheck sitting to watch, you know, having to sit and watch a baseball game and do some work before that, uh, that that was just great, great passion. So even to this day, even in uh, Red's country here of Cincinnati, I'm a, a diehard Brewers fan. All right. Well, we're staying on that baseball topic real quick because uh, obviously my, my background being, you know, from the player side, you had to have had a favorite part of being on the grounds crew, like whether it was fixing the mound or maybe you didn't get to touch that. I don't know. But um, yeah. any specific parts that were your, were your favorite? You know, honestly, it was uh, one of the things that was was fun for the younger members of the grounds crew. And I was at that point was we had to race out onto the field to take care of the dirt. And it was truly a race um, that we would speed around the infield with these rakes. And uh, we had a lot of fun just jostling amongst us while the older members of the ground crew got to watch us sweat and do all the, the work. But I actually really enjoyed that. We had some great stories that came out of it too. We, uh, you know, my first job in sports was with the single A team in the Inland Empire 66ers. And I got, as an intern, I, you know, I did all the marketing stuff, but then in the one break of when the innings were, you know, what was it, three and six, you had to drag. You yeah. had to go be part of that crew because they only had so many. And you legit tried to time your whole group, tried to time and get a faster time, you know, each each game. So I, I know that was always a fun competition. We did the same thing. <laughs> Used to love it. Used to love it. I'm sure the tradition continues everywhere else. All right. So, you know, you think about Ohio, um, the many, you know, many attractions, many teams, many places to go. What's the what's the favorite place to go in Ohio? Well, I'm certainly going to say our new stadium come the spring uh, for FC Cincinnati. But no, there honestly, there's so many great uh, sports venues here. So I spent a lot of time going up to Ohio State games. I've had great times at Cavs games through the years. Love Cleveland as well. Uh, great American ballpark here where the Reds play is fantastic. So honestly, if you're coming to Ohio, I think you've got three great large cities who all have great uh, sporting venues to go to. Uh, and if you shot up and down I-71 and you hit all three, that'd be a pretty spectacular sports trip. Yeah, no doubt. There's definitely a lot of action going on. All right, one thing that you loved most about being a tournament director on the tennis side of things. You know, honestly, I was so impressed with the uh, athletes. Um, very blessed. I mean, you had some of the, the the best in the world that were competing, but um, having the time to spend with Roger Federer, Serena Williams, all the great athletes that were there and the representatives, uh, I found really refreshing. I mean, they, they, were, they had a, a grind of a schedule traveling the globe. They'd come into Cincinnati. You know, we we're fortunate to have them for a little over a week and a half, uh, spend time with them, and they were just always so gracious. So I was impressed with that lineup um, and the, the young American players that I got a chance to probably know a little bit better. Um, uh, I just love that interaction, just a quality group. So uh, there's a lot of great athletes in, in all sports, but certainly in tennis, that, that was one aspect of the role that, that I enjoyed, as well as just the you know, thousand plus volunteers that we had work in the events who gave their time and energy just because they, it was good for the community and they enjoyed the setting. Now, I got to love the community events for sure. Uh, two last things. Any 
experience that you've had so far in your journey that you never thought you'd be able to have outside of dragging the field uh, when you first started? Yeah, well, maybe time with tennis, I would tell you one of the most special um, sporting venues, sporting events I've ever gone to has been Wimbledon. Um, and during the five years that I was in tennis, you know, I had the fortune because there were meetings that went on that I went to Wimbledon each year. And for as many Super Bowls as I had a chance to go to in football and have seen some really cool things, uh, probably going to that venue, going to that event uh, would be near the, the top of the list. No, that's great. That's definitely, definitely one on my list for sure. Um, all right. You've got a hobby and uh, it's, it's unlike others. Do you have any uh, unique habits that uh, you enjoy on the, on the personal side of things? Yeah, well, probably jumping out of a plane isn't something that comes to a lot of people's mind as something they would look forward to doing. Uh, but for me through, through time, that has always been a sporadic uh, thrill-seeking uh, activity for me. So I've, I've enjoyed it. it. goes all the way back to uh, early time when I was coming out of high school was the first time I had jumped out. And sometimes it's been on a static line. Sometimes it's, it's been a, a jump from 13,000 feet and uh, it's a thrill unlike any other. So even as I walk around our building at a high level and talk about that, uh, I get some of my colleagues a little nervous. Hey, you know, as you think about uh, how many times you've gone, was there ever, was it, whether it's the first one or the most recent one, were they all different or were, or was it kind of the same experience, but just that thrill over and over and over again? No, they've all been distinctly different. I think the first one is probably the scariest one, just because you don't know what you don't know until you, <laughs> you jump out. Um, but I've, I've, I can honestly say each one I've done, I can't say I was scared. I was excited for it. Um, but they've been distinctly different. And I've had uh, varying opportunities. I've done it in different states. So it's it's been a little bit different each one and, and memorable. So for those that have done it, they'll appreciate the adrenaline rush. For those that haven't done it, just will think the rest of us are a little bit crazy. Well, last thing before we before we wrap up, if you have not skydived, what's your one tip then? To go enjoy, it's going to be a lifetime thrill of, of all the different things that you can do. Uh, this when they talk about bucket list items and something that will be memorable and something that you'll you will love to tell the story over and over again, uh, it would be jumping out of a plane. Well, we certainly know you're not scared to reach the new heights. So uh, Vince, really appreciate your time, insights, perspectives, uh, and thoughts. Uh, really enjoy the conversation. Jake, thank you for having me.